Hello everyone and welcome to This Is Your Teaching Life, a podcast about ordinary teachers and their not-so-ordinary jobs. Join co-hosts Josh Simpson and Steve Crow as they explore the journey and experiences of everyday teachers, coaches and educators. Discover tips, tricks and advice as you listen to stories from everyday people who dedicate their lives to one of the world's most intricate, challenging and rewarding jobs, teaching. This is Your Teaching Life. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of This Is Your Teaching Life. Today, Josh and I had the absolute privilege to sit down with superstar, guru, experienced teacher, Gaylene Hawkins. Now, before we talk about anything else that happened in the episode, I have to let everyone know that we talk about what I think is the education department's biggest secret. It is the gem of teaching and it's called sabbatical leave. It's the idea that you can work for a certain period of time at 80% of your pay and you sacrifice that other 20% so that you can accrue some time where you don't have to work and you end up getting paid that 20%. Josh did one very recently last year where he worked for four terms and had the fifth term off and him and his partner went traveling. I did it about five years ago, uh, same deal. I did it for a year, 80% pay and then got paid that 20% in a fifth term which I went overseas for a couple of months. But the reason why I did sabbatical leave and probably how Josh ended up doing it as well is because of Gaylene Hawkins. And she did sabbatical leave for four years and had a whole year off. So it was a fascinating conversation where we talked about some of the experiences that we had with that. We also talked about how Gaylene's found balance in teaching after 25 years in the industry, some of her mentors and a very interesting conversation about the trajectory or the perceived trajectory of most teachers. I hope I said that correctly. But anyway, guys, I think you're going to get heaps out of hearing about Gaylene's story. We certainly had a blast chatting to her, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Before we do, though, the crew at the This Is Your Teaching Life podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gathered today and pay our respects to their elders both past and present. Sorry for the interruption. Could everyone please tune in for This Is Your Teaching Life with Steve Crow and Josh Simpson. Gaylene Hawkins, welcome to This Is Your Teacher Life. How's it going on this Sunday afternoon? I'm pretty relaxed. I probably should be doing a bit more work, but, you know, I'm glad to talk to you boys. Yep. Put the put the work on hold and get to tell us your story. It sounds like a much better Sunday than um, it would be. <laughs> much more enjoyable, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as always, we've got Mr. Simpson with us from uh, Zooming in from Phillip Island. How are you, Mr. Simpson? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thanks, Steve. Very excited to sit down with Gaylene this afternoon and hear all about her teaching life. Yes. And as yes, I'm sure there'll be some surprises for both of you, even though you've worked with me, so... Yeah, we were chatting off air about how Gaylene's been a mentor for, well, definitely myself, but, uh, you know, we're going to dig deep into the sabbatical sabbatical leave concept, hopefully, because you were the one who kickstarted both of our journeys with that. But um, before, we obviously know you reasonably well, or pretty well, Gaylene, having worked with you for a number of years at, at our school. But for those listeners who are unfamiliar with Gaylene Hawkins, give us the elevator pitch. Who is, who is Gaylene Hawkins? The elevator pitch. Would you like music <laughs> with that? Uh, what is the story? Well, I'm possibly too old to actually mention my name, my age now, that's for sure. Uh, but I born and bred New South Wales, really, although I did live in Queensland for a while before I came down to Victoria in my 20s. So I 
went to Mayfield East Primary School and then I went to an all-girls public school, one of the very last in New South Wales, Maitland Girls High School, uh, which actually went co-ed in my final year of school. Uh, yeah, who am I? Uh, I was school captain. Hello. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure that was just a, I just knew a lot of people. That was how I got that job. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I've got two brothers, mum and dad. Mum and dad live down in Tassie now. So we've spread ourselves amongst the states of Australia. Uh, I have nieces and nephews. At the moment, I am teaching at Regency Park Primary School after working for 20 years at Pearsdale Primary School. So uh, that was where I grew up as a teacher, if you like. Uh, yeah, so I'm grade four teacher this year. That's always fun. Nothing like nine-year-olds to set your path right. Uh, yeah, what, would, what else would you like to know? Now, what about uh, hobbies outside of work? Hobbies outside work. So I love to travel, which does link to sabbatical, which we can talk about. Uh, but reading, um, I'm very much a movie fan. I love gardening. I've got my two mental dogs that I look after and uh, they look after me. And, yeah, just like pottering around friends, you know, catching up, things like that. But, yeah, I, uh, I do like reading literature, theatre, sounds a bit posh, don't I? I like to go to the theatre. Uh, yeah, things like that. Uh, but, yeah, sabbatical for me was probably about exploring those sort of hobbies. So during sabbatical I travelled a lot, but I also did tap dancing and pottery courses and things like that that you always say you never have enough time for. So I made time for. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And it is, it is well, I suppose, one of the themes we will explore on this episode with you, Gaylene, is sabbatical leave. And uh, we have spoken before. Josh has just finished his one with his partner, Ash, and I've done one. And, and you've, done the, you've done the big one, the big four years. But before we get into that, let's find out a bit more about you. So we're going to go right back and sort of tell your, tell your hero's journey, if you will, <laughs> Gaylene. I know you're into your, your um, fantasy as well and all that type of stuff. So um, mm-hmm. you did touch on it before, like, um, your primary school and high school. Did you, other than school captain, did you have any outstanding childhood achievements worth mentioning on your way to teaching? Um, worth mentioning is the uh, important part there, really, isn't it? I'm sure I, I had a few. I was, you know, runner-up athletic champion of primary school. It's a little hard to believe now, but I was. Uh, I won a few academic awards, um, both in primary and secondary. So I was school captain in primary and secondary, as I mentioned, but I think my favourite, if you like, academic award, which wasn't really academic, I got was a citizenship award, uh, which I think sort of summed up my journey, which is pretty much all about relationships, I think, for me. Uh, But, yeah, I think they would be the major factors in in my primary school and secondary years, although I was also the shortstop in my softball team. And that, to me, to this day... It was a very proud moment. I just like yeah. to tell you. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. There's some, some great achievements in there. High school. So you were school captain in both primary school and high school. Yes, I was. It's a little. It's really funny how you can be embarrassed about saying something like that, where you probably should just be really proud of it. But it's um yeah it yeah it was two different uh, places. I'd moved between primary and high school and went to a different um, town and. 
yeah, became school captain again. So there you go. Excellent. Well done, must be the model student. <laughs> sure, maybe just I bluffed a lot of people as well. I'm not sure. So, but uh, I, I, yeah, I was into all those things. I was into like I was a house captain as well, like a sports team, and I was. Um, into the mock trial debate team and I was a bit of a nerd let's face it I was a nerd but I was really proud to be one too so I was into the music I was into the sports so I think I actually covered a really broad range of people which therefore I don't know when something happens like a school captain you know a lot of different demographics if you like of your school so perhaps that's why yeah who knows and so did you move to new, from New South Wales to Victoria from primary to secondary or was that later? No, much later. I, um, I went to University of Newcastle as my first uh, university and my first degree. And then um, I did a postgrad a couple of years later and I just really needed to get out of Maitland, which is in the Hunter Valley. And it was either Sydney or Melbourne. So I didn't want to live in Sydney. And I'd never been to Melbourne, so I thought, hey, why not? Let's apply for university. So I did a, um, a postgrad down here on film theory and moved when I was 23 to, to Victoria, yeah. And then a few years later I decided to do teaching degree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, postgrad. Wow. And you mentioned off-air that you can't remember what your enter school was, uh, was or you, it was called something different back then, but obviously it was enough to get into uni. How was uni? Did you find it uh, beneficial and did it set you up for your teaching career? I loved uni. I, um, I actually had a year before I went to uni as an exchange student, so I lived in Germany for a year um, as a 17-year-old back in the day when it was West Germany um, and that was interesting in itself uh but when I came back I just I loved uni I went to the University of Newcastle as I said and it was just like finding people there were but I I think what I liked I was doing communication degree and I was majoring in graphic design and um public relations but actually those were the two subjects I like couldn't whatever I liked but I didn't really care much about because I started to study things like film and media and writing and I just love the whole idea of expanding my world of knowledge and learning so and in that way it also set me up later on for teaching just that that idea that nothing you learn is actually irrelevant even if you don't use it if you like for a career uh it just I don't know it boosts who you are as a person and develops your thinking and I think that's what I liked about uni it just really challenged my thinking and the people you meet I mean where do you meet that diverse crowd in any other setting I I don't know so um yeah that was that was uni for me so I've always loved to study and I've gone back and there's as you know, I've done a few different things over the years, yeah. So what was it like going over to Germany at that that time? Like, And did you say it was at university when you did the exchange? No, or? I went between year 12 and, year, and university, so I deferred my university. Um, so I went with Rotary. And, yeah, look, you know, with the naive, naivety of a 17-year-old going over with big eyes and bushy tail and here I am world, um, it was fantastic really but it wasn't almost until afterwards I realized 
some of the impacts it made on my life with regards to independence and with regards to just I had to think for myself. I had to, even though I was looked after by host parents, I had to, um, yeah, I don't know, just sort of, I don't know, be who I was meant to be, I suppose. But also in West Germany, like, we obviously went to East Germany as well, like the communist world of East Germany at the time, which no longer exists. It's just bizarre to think the whole country doesn't exist as such. Um, That was an eye-opener for me to just think about the oppression of people but also political systems and how much history can play a role in, in what happens now. So, yeah, that was that was big for me. How long were you over there for? A whole year. Yeah, yeah. I went pretty much January to January. Yeah. And then came back and started uni in the March. <laughs> so I was like, ah. And for that first few months it was very much, oh, I remember this time last year I was in the Berlin Wall or this time last year I was, you know, in France trying frog's legs. So, I mean, yeah, it was pretty weird for an 18-year-old at that time to reflect back on. So, yeah. And Gailey, where were you living when you moved to Melbourne? Is it what? Yeah, so I'm, I moved to um, uh, Lang Warren, oh, wow. uh, just near Coringle. So I came down, as I said, to study, and it was just a year, and it was very much for a purging of my soul. It was just to study film theory and film, and I didn't know if I was ever going to use it for anything, but I just like to learn and um sorry hold on Humphrey <laughs> it's all right we're, we're used to this he's crying oh, in the background you're gonna have to cut the bit out <laughs> Humphrey, wake up. Was before on our, both areas. sorry 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 the, the life um, of a dog owner hey oh my gosh he's at my feet and he's just like snoring so loudly um <laughs> sorry I'll go back what was I saying um moving okay so I moved to Victoria to study and I moved to Langwarren and it was sort of a bizarre journey because it was through families of the church. So I'm pretty involved with church even to this day. So it was sort of like, you know, somebody who knew somebody and I, I just found a, yeah, a shared house and moved in with a complete stranger and just got on with life a little bit. It's funny to think how confident you are in your twenties. I reckon <laughs> sometimes I wish I was, I was that brave and confident just to, bite the bullet and do things like that so wow. no that's awesome it's um yeah that's what i look back from when i traveled the states and all that sort of stuff and then where you went and how you organize yourself you're like jesus i'll sort of miss doing that now and i think you lose it when you're not doing it all the time i know i mean who would have thought a 17 year old who doesn't actually drink going to the Oktoberfest in germany with other exchange students from around the world possibly breaking a few of the rotary laws because we were traveling by ourselves without adults other adults uh so things like that you just look back and like we're walking along we were walking along the wall the berlin wall in and then we got told you know this soldier basically security guard guy came up and said um you're walking in the no man's land can you just walk away from we're like okay so just things like that i mean when you're 17 18 or even in your early 20s you just sort of try things and do things Obviously not necessary to hurt people, but you just don't necessarily think of the consequences sometimes. <laughs> you have to excuse my ignorance here, but is the no man's land the place between, was that the place between countries at the time that you couldn't go? Or? Yeah, well, it was. there was a couple of them. So you had West Germany where we were 
uh, well, West Berlin, actually, because that was completely surrounded by East Germany. Um, and that was fenced off, if you like. And so there was a section just before the wall, which separated from East Berlin. And there was probably about, oh, not even, probably about 100 metres even before you got to the wall where you really shouldn't have gone up to. You know, it was just sort of like yeah. eyes on you from every point. But then over the wall, there was a no, definite no man's land, like no one went pretty much you're going to get shot. Um, and that had dogs and and um, like trained soldiers looking and spotlights and like the think movies, like it's almost, it was almost like that. It seriously was because then there was another wall and then it was East Berlin. So yeah, um, that was weird. I went back years later. I went back 94. So maybe six years after the wall had come down. And I remember standing in the places where it was, um, used to be no man's land and just standing there and just being blown away by the fact that this was now able to, you could just walk under the Brandenburg gate and yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It sounds like an incredible experience. Was very much. And going back to your, throwing back to the teaching and uni, uh, what was it that inspired you to become a teacher? You sort of talked about your passion for learning and learning all different things. Is that what it was or was there more to it? In, in some ways it's a really boring story because it was about getting work in some ways. Like, okay, so I've got this undergraduate degree. I've got a post-grad. What do I still actually want to do with my life? Um, and I was just working at the keg, which is a restaurant. I was a cook and I was just sort of getting by and decided I didn't want to go back to New South Wales, wanted to stay in Melbourne. My dad was a great man in my life. He's a great man in my life. He, um, he said, look, write the pros and the cons of what do you like to do? What is your life about? And uh, learning was up there. I like to learn. And kids, right up there. Um, so in some ways it was a bit of a no-brainer. Let's go to uni and be a teacher. Uh, I actually applied to be a high school teacher originally. I wanted to do English and history teacher uh, teaching but didn't get into that course and got into my second cho choice, which was primary school. Uh, and have loved it ever since. Yeah, I'm so glad I didn't get in. <laughs> it's one of those. It was one of those moments where a fail worked out to be actually the best thing that happened. So, yeah. Yeah. wow. And Galen, what about you? Were obviously inspired lots of kids already on your journey. But what about back at, in school or high school? Do you have teachers that you still remember to this day? Oh, absolutely. So many, actually. Some for good some for not so good uh but the ones for good I remember my year nine English teacher she she made me really believe that I was really good at writing and reading and analyzing text and she gave me a real love for that sort of world I, I mean I always sort of knew I was clever and that sounds a bit arrogant but I always knew I was pretty clever and I could do well but she made me really love what I was doing, not just because I could do it well, but actually I loved to do it. So she was really vital. And then my history teacher in year 11 for ancient history, she was great too, in a, in a really different and bizarre way. She just made ancient history come alive, for want of a better word. But, yeah, it was those sort of teachers that inspired me. Most of my English teachers um to this day I still read books almost yearly or every couple of years that I read in high school because of those sort of teachers 
Yeah. They were definitely ones. Primary school teachers, a little harder to remember. I certainly remember things about primary school teachers that um, inspired me, but it was more like moments of just feeling um, I can do this, I can feel safe, having fun, like moments over the years that I remember more than the actual sort of journey of the whole year of the teacher. Yeah. That's, I read some quote the other day and it was about um, like students will often remember the teachers that made them feel great rather than they did great lessons or something like that. So clearly those teachers had a great impact on you and inspired you to you know, follow down that path, which is fantastic. Did you, Absolutely. once you became a teacher, you try and, um, I guess, emulate them a bit and take bits and pieces from the way they taught and do that yourself in your lessons? Um, probably not consciously I, I think uh, a big part of my life is my faith and part of that is um, to, to go deep on you uh, but part of that is my my honest belief that God loves every individual and so that is my role as a Christian to to also accept every individual so I think that probably has more impact than certain a certain teacher but I was certainly inspired by teachers who, as I mentioned, probably impacted me as a person and made me want to learn and believe in myself. And so with those two elements combined, I think I've always tried to work on the relationship with children first. That for me is probably the most important thing. I mean, I can teach maths and I can teach kids to read, but if they don't want to be in my room, that's really hard to do to teach anyone anything but if they want to be there and they trust me and they know that I believe that they can be their best and I honestly believe that, then I'm going to get more from them in whatever subject it is. That sounds a bit altruistic, but that's what I believe. <laughs> I think we just got the introduction to this show that last minute. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's your, there's your sound <laughs> Oh, That's fantastic. Now, I've, I didn't know that you moved in Lang Warren, which is not far from the school that you spent 20 years at, funnily enough. Um, so was that the first in teaching interview that you had for that role or did you have others pre previous to that? Oh, no, I'm really going to show my age here, guys. Do you want to hear my interview? So uh, I did teaching rounds. One of the schools I did teaching rounds in the postgrad year that I did was at Wesley Private School. And my teacher at the time had a family member uh, through marriage at Pierstel, so Greg Hammond. So she said, here you go, here's his phone number. Why don't you give him a call and see if you can get some CRT work? And I'm like, okay, awkward. But as I said, I was in my 20s, you just do it, don't you? And you, so I rang and he gave me the APs uh, number, which was Don McKenzie. And I basically had a phone interview going, hi, I'm Galen, and I'd like to put my name down for CRT work. And he's like, okay, cool. Do you want to come in and meet me? And I'm like, yep. So it was like, honestly, we could have had coffee. It was like that. It was so relaxed and just here I am, hi. And that was how I got CRT work. From there, <laughs> this is, yeah, there's going to be a lot of young teachers that really hate me about this, but pretty much I made sure I went to the school carnival, which was a really big deal and still is in Pearsdale. And I got, I got, I was seen by the principal at the time, Ralph Gargiulo, and I said, hi, you know, hi, Ralph. And he's like, oh, hi, you've, you've done some CRT here. And I'm like, yeah. Anyway, got another couple of days um, after that 
and he came up to me and went, oh, look, just wondering if you'd like to uh, do a maternity leave, you know. And I'm like, you sure? That was honestly my interview. Uh, so they, I got mat leave um, and then at the end of that year he, he asked me if I wanted to come back and then at one point he just come into my office and I'm like, okay, he goes, do you want ongoing? Yes, I do. Sign here. <laughs> That was my that was my ongoing. So, so I'm really apologetic to all the teachers out there who go through interview after interview and school after school. You know that was that was the early 2000s. No, what was that? Late 90s. Late 90s. Yeah. Wow. So, Do you know what? <laughs> when you're telling that story, which is amazing, I'm sitting here and I don't know if you can hear it, but I was laughing most of the time of that. How awesome that is. But I still remember in my interview, one of the questions was about the carnival. So for the people out there that don't know, the carnival at our school is just ridiculous. It's massive. It's like, <laughs> like the Melbourne show. Good yeah, it is. There's rides yeah. and the amount of money that gets thrown around. I'm not sure how many zeros we should share, but there's a lot of zeros in it of the money that a lot. In school from it. But one of the questions was, how would you feel about, you know, spending time at the carnival? And of course, you're going to say yes. But then you actually go to the carnival for the first time. <laughs> For the whole day on a Sunday. <laughs> and I just remember as a young teacher, I thought, oh, like now I appreciate it a lot more, you know, when you're mature, maybe, I don't know, for me personally, it just feels like I'm more into that sort of stuff. But at the time, that was hard. It was hard to stay there for as long as I did. Who wants to sell plants on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon? Especially when all your, oh, yeah, I had a big night before, to be fair to say. This, yeah, but I like it now. You you can put your name down for some certain times, can't you, Josh? And that's that's it. There's lots of people there to help. Yeah. You don't have to hang. It out. was a little, it was a little crazy years ago because it, it probably didn't have the full momentum that it has now. And you you as a teacher, you had to do a lot more. I think you had to be on, you know, three or four rosters, and you had to have your kids make posters, and yeah. and it just sort of did really. Yeah, creep into the curriculum a little bit, but it doesn't really do that now. So, <laughs> so yeah. no, it is a big day. It's a great day, though. Excellent. And what about your current role? So, tell us about your new role you at the school right now. Um, so my role today is I'm a Year Four teacher. I'm a team leader, and I'm on the wellbeing team. They're probably my big roles. I I would say I'm an informal mentor as well like I don't there's no sort of role as such you know you will mentor younger teachers but I tend to get younger teachers in my team and this year have a new teacher to my school she's not younger I like she's not graduate or anything but just sort of trying to include her into the school and team but so yeah I I really enjoy it I think I reflected on this question a little bit and it's an interesting thing to be a teacher of so many years experience and still be in the classroom there's a lot of pressure as you go on to sort of go up the ladder of leadership and and I certainly did that in a lot of ways as well-being coordinator and things like that but I never had any desire and this is just me personally to be an AP or anything like that my my love is still the kids in the classroom so there is a lot of pressure like oh but you're so experienced you should be doing and I think yeah but I think we also need really experienced teachers in the classroom and we shouldn't be selling them short that they should be actually continually being removed from the classroom. I think you actually need these experienced teachers in classes still. 
Um, and that's not to say that, you know, go for it. Um, climb the ladder if you want to and, and you will make a difference. But I just think for me that was never really a role. I always saw myself as being my best self in the classroom and working with teachers in that capacity as well. Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably good. Oh, you guys safe? Oh, you go, Josh. I was going to go on a tangent. <laughs> right, we can no, I was going to say, it's probably good that you, you know that before stepping into that sort of role. So, yeah, at least you've been with the kids. And I guess like where I um, relate to that is when I worked at a summer camp over in the States, a mate and I went back one year and we became um, athletic directors. So we're in charge of the, of the sporting program at the camp we were at, but we didn't work with the kids in their groups um, as we had previous years, which was probably the fun of it. So I, that's what I relate it to. Like all of a sudden you go on a school and you're not working with kids and building those relationships. Yes, you're doing it with adults, but it's just not the same, is it? No, and I've, I've worked all across the school. So I've worked in every year level. I've been a specialist. I've actually been removed from the classroom for a year uh, doing well-being for the whole school. Um, I've stepped into acting AP roles for a few days here and there. And, yeah, the greatest joy and sense of achievement still back in the classroom, uh, including specialists. I love doing specialists for the few years. But, uh, yeah, I just um, I think there's a lot of pressure on good teachers to get out of the classroom. And I find that a little frustrating sometimes because I think you can be a good teacher and still stay in the classroom. And I hate it when we say, oh, you're just a teacher or you're just a classroom teacher. And I just, ugh, grates me because I think how that's what we did. You know, that's why we do this, where we became teachers to be in the classroom. Whether, and I mean that as in specialists or anything like, you know, have a class and to, to be told that you can move up and out it, it's sort of flattering but there's also an element where you go we still want the best in the classroom but there is a lot of really good teachers who still inspire and mentor those teachers so yeah it's a personal journey but I think the pressure on good teachers needs to come back a little bit and just actually support them in their own journey whatever that journey might be yeah yeah this is tangent no, nah, this is a great topic. I was talking with a, uh, a trusted colleague about something similar a while ago and about exactly what you're saying. There is this expected trajectory that mm. good teachers take. And whenever someone kind of doesn't go that trajectory, I feel like there's this sense of, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why, why aren't they going? What's wrong with them? Why would they want to do that? Like, why would someone who's out of the classroom maybe want to go back in? Or why wouldn't someone go for that assistant principal job or whatever? And it's actually, you know, kudos to the people who actually know, actually, I don't want to get caught up in the extra money or the extra whatever, the extra kudos or perceived uh, standing that that title gives and stay true to what I actually want to, want to do. And, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's something that it's, it's everywhere, isn't it, in teaching? Yeah, I think what you said, Steve, about this perceived notion of, like, you almost feel like you've let people down if you say no. Yeah. To going up there, or that, or, or that you, yeah, you're a little bit less because you've you've either gone back to the classroom or you've said no. And I think your journey, like I've worked for, I'm starting my 25th year of teaching, so there's a lot of years to explore. And and certainly in my 30 late 30s, so 10 years in, I was I was exploring leadership, and I really enjoyed a lot of that leadership. But I sort of really enjoyed that middle management leadership. I didn't want to go up higher and, as I said, out of and keep moving away from the kids and out of the classroom. 
Um, and that's not to say that's not saying that a lot of good people don't you know do that, and they do it really well. They you know APs or leading teachers or whatever. But for me, yeah, there was like a lot of pressure on. Well, no, you could be an AP. Why don't you become a principal? Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do anything like that. It's like policy and paperwork and budgets and <laughs> ew, no, <laughs> like no, I just. You know, I want to teach the kids. So yeah, yeah. and kind of, I know, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the just the just the teacher thing. But I think, you know, in another way, it's like it's actually okay to be not just a teacher, but a teacher. That's fine. Yeah. Like, who, yeah. That's absolutely. That's, that's, I, I really think the the learning specialist role has actually somehow come out of the department trying to think how do we actually keep our teachers in the classroom who are actually showing leadership and and get them to become coaches and mentors, but yet still keep them connected with a foot in the classroom. And I, that's what I actually, when I first heard about learning specialists, that's what I was thinking their role is. I really like the idea of a learning specialist. I think some schools have missed the boat a little bit because they've taken them completely out of the classroom. And I just think that that's not the role. That's not how I read the role uh, mm. at all when it first came out, but yeah, I think the most successful learning specialist that I've seen, and I know I'm talking to one who was there, but is is having their foot in the classroom um, and knowing what the teachers are going through, but knowing also just where the kids are at. That makes them, um, I don't know, better better leaders in a sense because they know what's going on. Hmm. Anyway, in that's just my philosophy. In the, <laughs> in the trenches, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so you touched on a couple of things already, Gaylene, about your interests outside of teaching, but I suppose I'd like to hone in a bit more about what are those interests? Like we know you, you'll never give yourself credit for this, but you have got a couple of musical talents <laughs> that we can do as well. I know you're a very modest person, but uh, we'll put that out there. <laughs> you know, your travel and everything that you've experienced yep. outside of school, how does that shape your teaching practice? Um, yeah, so... I think it it's about balance, isn't it? So you've got to actually have stuff outside in your life. So you mentioned music. So I, I, I've sung and I've, I've done a musical before, you know, good old Ploss, Les Mis. Uh, I was one of the drunken wenches in the tavern. Uh, but, yeah, you know, things like that. I think you, you suck the marrow out of life, if you like, to, and then you can breathe that into your teaching. I think if our whole life becomes about teaching, we, we actually will burn out quicker. Uh, we, you know this, boys. We can work from six till six. We can work from sun up to sundown, and still there's work to do. And I've been really, really um, adamant, probably more so in the last six years, that I will not work Saturdays or a Sunday. Like there's one day I will not work. Um, or I, I have work-free nights during the week. And sometimes that will go, like report time, you know, or parent-teacher interview times, that's school carnival times. Uh, but, you know, I think having that balance and, yeah, doing outside interests, like I sing a lot at church. I've been, I'm really involved in my church. Um, I do like to travel. Having family across the country, I sort of have to travel sometimes to them, but actually travel overseas, hopefully again one day. Let's just <laughs> live in hope. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, things like that, I, I read a lot. I'm, I've actually set up a room in my house now to do uh, some art. Like I'd like to sort of draw a little bit. I mean, I'm not really good at it. It's just something I like to do. So I think having that balance is really important. 
getting outside, as I say, meeting friends. Like I'm a great believer in if somebody asks you to do something, your first answer should be yes until you can really not say yes, you know, like because you've got other commitments. But uh, I think I think we work in a profession that can really just become your life far too easily and become like the teacher, capital T. Uh, and I think in order to become a good teacher, you actually need to sort of tune into life a little bit and, and be be part, be present to your partners and to your family and, yeah, and not just be there always for everyone else because, to be honest, we are a little expendable sometimes. We don't think we are, but, you know, oh, if, if we don't do this, it's never going to happen. Those kids will fail in life. But to be honest, like, there are times where I've done the most boring lesson in the world and uh, the kids will be okay, you know, like (laughs) I I can pick it up the next day or I can rely on my colleagues to help. And, yeah, I think I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, Steve, but I certainly um, my interests I've mentioned, but I think it's, it's about balance. Yes, having interests outside of work, but whatever they are, so... You know, I like to go and watch the ice hockey and I'll try and see the cricket and I'll go to the footy and just just going out to theatre, as I said before. Whatever it is, you just take away life and that's what you can feed back into your work. Love that because it's got to be one of the biggest misconceptions that we just work 9 till 3.30 and then it's the laptop closed and off you go and you can go and do whatever you want. But And, and you know, clearly we don't. But it does sound like you've broken the mould in a sense that you've done sabbatical quite a few times and it's probably a great point to talk about it uh, do you want to tell us about sabbatical like what it actually is and then what you did throughout your sabbatical leave yeah I, I'll just go back a little bit Josh too though because the reason I looked at sabbatical which is really interesting because I realized I wasn't going to have kids which I know is really weird but um like a weird segue but I, I realized I wasn't going to have maternity leave and so it was like oh is is this just what I do until I'm 70? Is Do I just teach, you know? And uh, and it was a really big couple of years for me to realise what, what you know, what am I, who am I? And that's where I've come to this idea of having a break and using holidays well and using annual leave well. And then sabbatical came into that play. And so when I heard about it from... Um, a colleague of mine called Connie and you guys know Connie very well um, she talked about it she never did it but she talked about it and I was like what what do you mean what do you mean you can take time off and still get paid like what 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 is that about uh, and so it was like the hidden gem of the game of education department um, so I looked into it and I did a four year um, at 80 percent of my pay And then I had the fifth year completely off and still got paid 80%. The principal has to like give you the thumbs up. It's very much up to your principal. Um, They have to have good reason. I think you could probably challenge them on why they wouldn't give it to you. But I've, I've never, I mean, I don't know heaps of people other than you guys who have done it, but I've not, I haven't heard of a principal who wouldn't want that to happen. Um, Unless maybe there's so many who want to do it. They will say, please delay it. But, yeah, and, and look, I'm 50. I turned 50 last year. I know. I know. Let's just stop on that for a minute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but I think that was another moment where I was going, oh, jeepers, what, what do I do? You know, my gosh, I'm, I'm single and 
I've got to keep paying my house off. And so am I working until I, you know, give the kids a lesson in CPR in my classroom when I collapse? But um, I just thought I'm going to have to look forward to something. And so I've started it again, but this time I'm doing two years at reduced pay and then taking 26 weeks, which is pretty much half a year off. Um, and it's just something to look forward to. And I talked before about what I did during those time, the last time. I just did a lot of things I've always just wanted to do. So I've, I travelled to the Pilbara where some friends of mine live in Western Australia and I travelled down to my family and I went to different places in Victoria and I learned to tap dance again, like I said. Um, but I also studied in Oxford for two weeks and I did like a course on Jane Austen, right? Who, who knew? Um, so uh, trying to sell that to primary school doesn't really work but uh yeah no as I said it just feeds your soul and when your soul's fed then you can give a lot more of yourself so that's certainly what sabbatical did for me and um it also made me realize I missed teaching like I like it and that's what I'm hoping to keep doing and I don't want to just teach because I just can't get out and this is it I'm trapped so having something to look forward to in a couple more years now I'm hoping is that it will again revitalise and just make me go, yeah, I'm good at this and I've got something to offer in this still, despite how old I am. Oh, uh, you know, it's pretty scary when someone like Dylan comes to work with you and you realise you taught him in prep. So, you know, uh, it makes you feel old. But there are, yeah, there are great things in our job, but it can drain you and I think, to use things like sabbatical to refill uh, your, your soul, for want of a better word, or just, you know, who you are is, is so important. And I would recommend it to any teacher out there. Look into it. It is a public school, I believe, don't phenomenon. I don't believe private schools have anything like it, but I could be wrong. Um, but, yeah, look into it. There's, and there's a lot of different options. Croy, I think you did a term, if, if I remember. Yeah, it has yeah. got to be the best thing about teaching comfortably. I might, I might throw it to Josh first, though, because he's just recently finished one. But, like, would you agree with a lot of that, that it's refreshed you, Josh? Absolutely. Um, I think especially at the end of, because obviously I did it at the end of last year, so coming out of remote teaching, my partner and I, the plan was to get married and go on a honeymoon and all that sort of stuff, which we couldn't do any of that. So it was a bit of a dampener on it or it could have been a dampener on it in a sense but we thought no we'll still do it we bought a caravan bought a new car and off we went and did something that we probably never would have done had we not had this sabbatical opportunity and then I think you know when we're away we thought you know let's not do work so we didn't do any work related things I'm I'm guilty I did do a few little hobby type things in our podcast at work but when I got back and same as you said Gaylene I just started teaching it and I was just like yes like this is so good I love this and this is my job it was just so great to, one, get back and do that, but also have that time where you could exp experiment with, I know, Steve, you call it the mini retirement, that you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You know, you said you did tap dancing. I got into fishing um, and, you know, caravanning and reading. I never read books and managed to, you know, smash out one book over two days, which was, you know, huge for me. So, yeah, it was absolutely refreshing. I think it was amazing. Would you say the same, Steve? Yeah, it was just like a... 
Well, for me, I can't. Oh, trying to, I was trying to do the maths before how old I was when I, when I did it. But like the when I remember speaking to you about it, Gaylene, and how you did four years, I just thought, wow, like that is a huge commitment. Like to commit for four years at eighty percent of your pay, which seems like a lot at the time. I know, like I don't know how you guys felt when you got your first paycheck when it dropped down a little bit, but I was just like, holy shit! Oh, holy shit. <laughs> but it was only for a year, but um. Yeah, so I, I did the year and then had a term off, um, a bit like what Josh did. But I remember, I remember, and this might be, you know, if anyone considering it as well, like someone said to me, they're like, oh, geez, I don't know, Steve, like that's not, not, you know, think about your, you're probably going to lose like a lot of money by, by doing that. Like you're going to be losing out, like you're not going to earn as much over the, the four terms as you would with five. But, you know, obviously having done it, the payoff in a way, like I've probably accumulated more money through being able to, the experiences that I had through sabbatical mm-hmm. leave, like traveling mm-hmm. and just other opportunities that presented have been rewarded with getting, you know, a learning specialist job probably earlier than I would have if I hadn't have done it, if you know what, if that makes sense. But um, Absolutely. Another, I think, um, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think also uh, with regards to the money, you live within your means, you know, like, we're some of the richest people on the planet, really. Um, and we strive to just get more. And I think sometimes we, we need to work to live, right? You know, not live to work. And it's just this idea that sabbatical allows us to take a deep breath and to realize that we're working for a reason. And when I dropped pay, I actually dropped a tax bracket the first time. And so I didn't like, I was like, oh yeah, well, ultimately it's okay. And you know, the experiences I had, I was still able to get paid during that year. I was getting paid while I was literally painting my house and um, tap dancing and, you know, visiting Bath where Jane Austen lived. And, you know, like I was, so as you say, Steve, I think, the, the ultimate payoff was much bigger than than the actual loss of income because you still increment, you still increment, you still get, but it's just all um, like reduced. So you still get annual leave accruing, you still get sick leave accruing, but it's just um, reduced uh, with you know regard to your pay. So there's a lot of benefits in it. Uh-huh. principals everywhere are going to hate us because we're talking about it they're like we're going to just see this momentum <laughs> speaking of principals when i asked don mckenzie who was our old principal at Pearstar primary about the possibility and i mentioned that you could do it for one year he kind of looked at me and he said what what do you mean you can do like one year is that and i said that's yeah, apparently it's possible and he's like well if it's possible go and find out the information give it to me and I'll think about it but like even he you know it sounded like he didn't know about it so it is a hidden gem Oh, definitely. I went to him and, and I don't think he'd heard about it. I, I said, so did you know this? He's like, no. Um, and I think um, back then too, I'm trying to think when I did it, I think it was two, I think it was 2000 and maybe seven. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was, um, or maybe 12 actually. So yeah, 2012 it was. So I, I just remember thinking um, you, you're going to get a better teacher coming back. Don, because Don signed off on me as well. Because you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you back the year I've taken off because I'm gonna feel much better to be here. So, yeah, do it, do it again, do it again. Oh, that's what, you have to, you have to have worked for five years. I'm pretty sure that's it. You have to work for five years. I think you have to be ongoing. 
Mm. Uh, I think there's a couple little threads that you need to, or sort of check boxes you need to tick off, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing you do get back to work and you're like, hmm, how can I wrangle this to do it again? <laughs> I think <laughs> one more thing of, of it, and I think this relates to, you know, kind of what we've been talking about, like the sabbatical leave and even school holidays. And I think now it's, we're probably all more appreciative of it with COVID and everything. But I found, yes, like I went to the China and had these amazing experiences. I saw the Great Wall and went to India and, you know, life-changing seeing what poverty was like over there compared to here. But when I came back and just was pretty much at home for a month doing nothing basically, like living life like I was retired, that was probably the most <laughs> powerful part of, of it because I was like, you know what, I can actually now, I know how lucky I've got it. I'm comfortable of just sitting at home all day doing nothing. Yes, you yeah. get restless and stuff at times. And you need to see people for that connection and, and whatever. But the epic moment, like that, you don't have to always go on the big holiday to make the most value of that so time. True. I think that was one of the biggest lessons for me through that. So oh. true. I mean, one of my favourite things during the time was just bringing up other random people who had days off, uh, whether through work or uh, you know, children or whatever, and just going, "So you up for brunch?" <laughs> and just going out, you know, and <laughs> so that was awesome and also even just I popped into the school like I I went to school I did a PD at the school um and and it was great because it was sort of in my control and I know that's a um a weird thing to say but it was yeah it was just I got up and I felt like doing that so I went and did it and it but there was also times where you thought oh right okay, I need to make the most of it. It, it, There was a little pressure at the start, I think, um, when I first started, particularly the year-long one. It was like I was doing it for all the teachers out there. You know, I had worked hard and and I've got to make the most of this because everyone's jealous. Um, And so I had to to allow myself to relax and allow myself to do nothing. Um, And it's very much a different nothing than the one we had to do through remote learning or or COVID, not so much remote learning because we did a lot. Uh, But just, you know, being allowed to stay home or allowed to go out, having your own personal freedom choice of that was very different than what we've just gone through last year. So, um, yeah, I recommend anyone doing sabbatical not to do it during lockdown. That would be, that would just be a waste, let me just tell you. Josh, you kind of went through that before actually going, didn't you? Like you had to really get into that headspace before you even had sabbatical leave because you couldn't do that. No, exactly. So obviously our plans were just thrown out the window and then, because yeah, what well, we're doing, chilling for, well, we weren't really chilling, it was lockdown and then we were just fortunate that we were regional. So we That's just right. jumped in the caravan and go off. Had we been Metro, then we would have been all, in all sorts of strife. But yeah, thankfully we weren't because that would have yeah thrown a complete spanner if we were in lockdown. But you You can, you can relax, you can delay it though. I know that. Like if you get sick or anything happens, you can actually push it back, can't you? So you, you might have had that option, but you're exactly right, Josh, being in the regional, I mean, you're allowed to do a lot more. And we, we actually had, I found a picture of it the other day. We had a pros and cons list of delaying it till term one, because we had that option if we wanted to, but you know, we're like, oh, this whole COVID thing is it's still going to be around, which obviously it well and truly is. So, we were stoked that we still did it. We still went and had an amazing time. And as you said, like our first stop, we went from Phillip Island to um, Venus Bay. Yeah, it's around the corner pretty much. So that, that really struck me actually during sabbatical was the things that I did that actually were local that I hadn't, you know, I, you know, I've gone up to the Dandenong Mountains and I've just 
walk through the National Road to Dendron Gardens. And I'm like, why didn't I, why didn't I just do this on a normal weekend? But I think you, you gave yourself permission to be a tourist a little bit in your own area. And I think that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's uh, an amazing thing. I really try to, like, it's, it is hard to commit. I'm finding it, you know, the thought of it. I want to do it again, but, you know, to <laughs> that time. But I really, you know, now doing it, school holidays even, just really trying to focus in on that being like your sabbatical time to do stuff that isn't epic or whatever and explore those things that you might want to do as much as possible. I found that is helpful, but found that they went for longer. I think the, the thing about sabbatical is like I don't know about you but particularly the end of the year we get the five weeks off or so five and a half that first week and a half you're just exhausted <laughs> and you've got Christmas and you know you you just sort of push through and then you've got four weeks but then you don't really have four weeks because the last week at least you're thinking about school again mm. at least and if not before um so you've got only a couple of weeks I say only all those people are out there not teachers. Yes, we love holidays and we appreciate them. But and they are amazing, but I think in a sabbatical you take a good 2-3 weeks just to stop. And then you can start to unwind and do things you love. So you actually do need more than just 6 weeks or so. I think the term is perfect. Um I'm taking two terms this time, but I think minimum a term is yeah is the ideal to just reset yourself you know reboot and all that sort of thing mm. do it steve do it do it again yeah just lock it in mate just lock <laughs> it in what would you tell everyone else to do <laughs> yeah exactly just do it i'll, I'll i've, I've got simon on dial I'll, I'll give him a call <laughs> well we know he's a big listener so he's probably you know, <laughs> crossing my name man as we speak <laughs> he's waiting no, he's a, he, he's a great but i think you when you have principals who are a great believer in um you know family is important and life experiences are important and don and both don and simon were uh, are people like that who mm. it, it was more than just school um, and just just being a teacher, you know. So I, I certainly think he will let you do it again. <laughs> and it can be like a, from a global perspective, it can be good for the school because, you know, it gives someone else an opportunity to take your role for a short period of time or, you know, you might find someone else for the school or, yeah, from a global perspective. As long as they don't replace you. That's, well, that's, <laughs> that's what we were talking about before, wasn't it? You're easily replaced, Josh. I'm sure you felt I that. know. It's a, it's yeah, it's a very humbling thing to think about, really. But I think that was my one of my biggest things, like because as you said earlier, I can't remember if this was in the podcast or off air, but we're talking about you know, you work away, work away, thinking if I don't do this, no one will. But then you step back and someone does, someone just comes straight in, takes your spot, and they'll they'll do it, um, the same or they'll do it their way, whatever. But you're replaceable, yeah, you are replaceable. It doesn't mean you don't have an impact. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it certainly doesn't mean that you are uh, replaceable is probably not the right word, is it? it? It just means that you've set it up to a point where somebody else can take it over and, and take it further than you might have or different direction, like you said. So um, leaving a school after 20 years is really interesting because one of it was like, well, who am I without this school, you know, and I've seen, I've taught whole families and I've seen these young teachers now who are like my bosses and, and, you know, and that is really interesting, but then to leave and you go back after a couple of years and you realize, I don't even know half the staff here. My legacy is still here, but it's, it's, 
more like within the people that are there or within the people who have left and um, how you've perhaps mentored them or helped them or or you've just got alongside them and you've learned from them too like oh my gosh I've learned from everybody so that yeah I don't know if replaceable is the right word is it but I think you're right we we can sort of fade off into the sunset a little bit and, and uh, new people come in and new ideas and, and that's exciting it's exactly how it should be but you just realize that perhaps you're not quite as important as you think you are so <laughs> That's it, exactly right. Now, you said something that I'm interested to touch on because obviously you've worked at Pearsdale for 20 years and you would have been very comfortable. And when we had Bo Vernon on the podcast a few episodes ago, he talked about getting outside your comfort zone and that's where growth happens. How was that going from working at a school for 20 years to starting completely afresh at a new one? Uh, very scary, actually. Um, but also invigorating at the same as a weird sort of combination. One of the reasons I left was I, I used to drive about 45 to 50 minutes away. And Josh, you know that, that that's drive. Nothing. Be, that's <laughs> nothing. Um, but I think it, it was nothing for probably about 15 years. Mm. It, it just didn't bother me. And I think as I sort of explored that I wanted to do more outside of work, um, that it did start to eat into some of those other things like where I was sort of too tired to do youth group or I was too tired to catch up with people or I just, and really can I say teaching has changed so much in the last 10 years um, that it was really eating into every facet of my life. So I think the one thing I tried to control was that, like can I live closer to actually give myself some more time? So it was a journey, though, because being at the top of the, um, the pay scale and trying to look for work against people who were like two, three, four years in and a lot cheaper and sometimes a lot more enthusiastic uh, was, was quite difficult. So in some ways I, I started to apply for jobs that were jobs I didn't really want, as in they were leadership roles and they were like not out of the classroom but sort of that one foot in and I didn't really want them but they were sort of the only jobs I could get to stay ongoing and I think being being the single income earner in my house uh you know I had to look at it from a practical point of view still even even I I, I thought of maybe going part-time at the time but I you know sabbatical is different to going part-time that's sort of a bit more permanent so that was that was a challenge so there was sort of that fear that I would never get out of Pearsdale and I didn't want to feel trapped in a great school because it's a great school. And I, I must say they were fabulous to me because I think I threw them for a six a little bit because uh, the plan was for me to go back into a specialist role and I would have been really happy in that role. And I had planned to actually move down. A friend of mine had a place in Summers. So there was, you know, there were some things moving. And then it literally came up from a phone call to me from a friend of mine who was the AP, was the AP at my school, that current school. And he said, there is a job going. You should apply because we're actually looking for experience. And, and that was comforting in a way, but also I sort of went in going, all right, I can offer something to this school if they're looking for experience. But if I don't get it, then I'm actually pretty happy at Pearsdale. So it wasn't like I was hating life at my old school. Um, but 
to move when I got the job. I was so thrilled, but then I sort of freaked out at the same time. And it was really sad saying goodbye to a community that you, I mean, I grew up in, in some ways, you know, I was 27 when I, or 26 when I first started there. And uh, I just, I saw all these people come through, all these kids and just myself, I grew up. So it was a big leap. Uh, But I have to say, you know, the school that I went to, Regency Park, is the great school and they were so welcoming. And I think we've got to remember that when new people come to our school, it doesn't matter how long they've worked for, they're still new at that school. And to, to give them that just encouragement and boost and acceptance and just, yeah, because that makes the world of difference. Mm. It does. Wow. Mm. <laughs> now, Gaylene, this next point that we're going to talk about is something that's very close to both of our hearts. We've talked about it a lot, but for a bit Star of Star Wars. Yes. Oh. No, it's not, oh, actually, it's not that because Josh doesn't even know what Star Wars is. <laughs> All right. Okay. Sorry, I thought it was close to our hearts, Steve. I thought it was close to our hearts. <laughs> We want to talk about <laughs> mentors. Now, for some oh, yes. context, at Pearsdale Primary School, the school we met at, there was this great cohort of experienced teachers that had been there for a long time that got on really well and had created this really good vibe at the school. And <laughs> I remember I only got a couple of years at it and it was they've still left some, some legacies on me, I think, from the short time I had with them. But you were there for a, a lot longer time. Um, I'm sure they're not the only mentors in your life, but how did that sort of... Yeah, what did you learn from that and who are some of the mentors that you've had throughout your career? I know, right? We could we could spend a whole podcast on me just talking <laughs> about my mentors. Be- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just uh, people who just gave you time, right? You know, like they just, teaching is such a busy job, right? And you just can just get locked in your classroom if you like and, and not get out. And I think for me, the people who just took the time to check in that I was okay, became my greatest mentors. But the the ones like I could name, if you like, um, Jude Blackman was really early on mentor for me. Wendy Older, I know, Steve, you had a lot to do with Wendy. She um, she was the same ilk as Jude and the, Karen Smith would have been another one there, would be my early career, who really taught me that um, it's okay to not know something and it but just ask and there are good people that will help you and I think that's really important and all three of them also really taught me that it's about the kid you know pull your own head out of your butt and (laughs) it's about the kid all the time so if this whatever you're doing and spending all your hours on and you're laminating or you're making posters or you're doing oh hold on Back then there was no such thing as laminating. But anyway, um, you know, but I used to make my own sheets, guys, my own worksheets. So you would spend hours doing this sort of stuff. I mean by hand, none of this computer business, settle down. Um, But, you know, you could spend hours and they taught me if it's not going to actually help the kid, why are you spending all the time on it? And they were some of the greatest mentors I think I had to that day. And then along came Joan Ebbles. What a legend. So uh, she she became uh, sort of the lodestone for me with teaching because she was a teacher who had taught for a really long time yet would always take on any new initiative with just joy and enthusiasm but still questioned why are we doing this? Like, 
you know, don't just, she didn't just do it because everyone told her to do it, but she would still take on all these new initiatives. Um, and sometimes those new initiatives were just old ones rewrapped and she would still do it with enthusiasm. She would take absolutely no crap from parents. She taught me that really early on, just, but be genuine with the parents, but don't take it personally. There were so many times when I used to just walk in her classroom and I'd just flop on, you know, the, the teacher's seat and just go, oh, and she's like, come on, Gaylene, tomorrow's another day. You can do it, you know, just, and, and it was just that attitude of let it slide off you. Here we go. What can we do? And uh, the sense of team with Joan, she was such a team player. So, yeah, she, she stands out to this day as one of the greatest mentors that I ever had, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, she is amazing, though. Uh, Joan, isn't she? The uh, the positivity and just her energy is infectious. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, over your 20 years, or more than 20 years, how long have you been teaching for in total? I'm um, starting my 25th year. Oh, so I'm sure over those 25 years you've come across some funny or interesting stories uh, throughout your time. Have you got one that you'd like to share with listeners? You know what? I thought about this, and it's so hard to pinpoint certain ones, you know, they're just times where I've laughed a lot um, and, and sort of being part of just different places, you know, like, I don't know, the kid who's just done the really wrong thing, but you're just trying hard not to laugh while you're telling them off and things like that. Or, you know, the moment where you're reading this, this storybook and it's, you've got them all and you're doing the voices and they're all, and then a kid just farts, you know, and, you know, you lose complete control of your class, things like that. I mean, there's just moment after moment after moment. So to try and pinpoint was was really hard. And, look, I'm just going to go back to last year, remote learning, because there wasn't a lot to laugh about in some ways. Um, but we talked about, we were talking about resilience and gratitude and all these sort of things. And one on the live meets that we had, we were talking about if you had a superpower, what would you have? And all these kids have come up with great things like speed, you know, and basically so they could be criminals. I've decided they were supervillains because they could go and steal things and all this sort of stuff. It was pretty funny. But one kid decided that translocation would be the best thing. So he could just click his fingers and go anywhere, right, anywhere in the world. And I was like right onto this because this is my dream, right? That would be my superpower for sure. And so I was like, that is amazing. Where would you go? Would you go? And I was thinking Paris. I was thinking, you know, Disneyland. Where would a 10-year-old want to go? And without missing the beat, he just went, McDonald's. I, I laughed for three days straight, I'm pretty sure. I had to write an email to his mum just telling him how funny he was because he could still actually go to McDonald's. He, he was still allowed, but that was his dream. So things like that, like kids just, geez, they make you laugh. Oh, seriously, the day that I walk into a classroom and I no longer laugh at kids, then it's time to retire, I'm pretty sure. Um, just plenty of, plenty of yeah, stories, you know, like, I don't know, costume malfunctions in um, performances on stage. And there's a lot of stories I could tell you about kids who've made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know there's probably not one story there's, I don't have the greatest story uh, Natalie Francis she's just the storyteller you need to get her on she could tell you stories she should write a book about stories she's got Hi, <laughs> now Gaylene we were chatting before just about how you know you've got a good perspective on teaching <laughs> things you know having the balance you're talking about and how that can help with 
the, I guess, the teacher overload and all that. But let's talk about a bit of, you know, teaching is a challenging job as such. And we do encounter a lot of things like you mentioned with parents and stuff, but is there anything that you'd like to share about or any challenges you've had or anything further about how you sort of handle those challenges? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges in teaching, isn't there? Um, I think, as I said, teaching's changed a lot in the last few years. I A lot more policy, a lot more paperwork, um, a lot more curriculum, things like that. But I think, you know, I've had parents who have tried to actually physically dominate me, like, you know, in, in parent-teacher interviews, actually stand over me, things like that, where I've just stood up, you know. I'm not taking that crap. Um, but, you know, there, but there's been parents who have come in on the attack and the blame game. Uh, they're really tough to deal with, I think. But what I've learned from that is I think we say this a lot to the kids and we, we certainly do this with kids and I think we should do it with adults and parents and teachers to an extent, is that there's always a reason behind behaviour and to actually look at the why, why is this parent like this? And so many times where I've had really defensive parents, really upset parents, they're on the attack of why can't my child do this, this or this, to flip it around and say, okay, how can I help you? You know, what supports have you got in your life? I reckon nine times out of 10, I've had the parent in crying. They're in tears because somebody hasn't stopped to ask that. And that, that's been a big lesson I've learned. Um, it's not always the case there are just some nightmare people out there but I reckon nine times out of ten it's unfortunately teachers are sort of on that front front line of attack uh, where we're easy targets to blame and when when life is going really hard for some parents then we're sort of a bit we can become scapegoats I mean there are some teachers out there that I think have failed our industry for sure but not as many as you know, you sometimes hear about. There's so much challenge in teaching just the best of times. You know, we work with every demographic you can think of. And we, you know, I, my, I've literally cried in my car um, on the way home after dealing with a kid's life, you know, because you just want to, you want to wrap them up and take them with you because there are kids out there that just have hard lives. And you just, you just give yourself so much of yourself to these kids and and some and a lot of time that pays off but a lot of the time I think this is one of the hardest things primary school teachers we don't always see the end result of of that have you got a story where you've directly impacted a young person's life um in in that moment you've actually seen it or seen it years later yeah I you know I think we've all seen the light bulb moments like if they've got something suddenly um or they're really excited or you know that moment where a shy kid as I said you know gets up and speaks at assembly and uh, or a, a kid who's perhaps um, known to be reticent or, you know, speaks to you and forms a relationship with you. I would say relationships are the baseline of my teaching, um, as I've said before. So there was this day I was on yard duty and I looked up and this man was walking towards me. I'm like, this is really odd. We're in a primary school. And so, and then... As he got closer, I just went, oh, oh, my goodness. And it was my one of my ex-students. And he had a tough time at school. And, and 
I was part of a, a crew of teachers. I certainly wasn't the only teacher who just really liked him, really believed in him. And it went right up to the principal who just gave him time. But we always wondered what happened to him, you know, like we saw such growth at school and he came back. He must be like 20 or something. And he, he'd come back to visit family from New South Wales. He'd come all the way back down and he decided to visit his primary school teachers and he hunted us down. And there was only a few of us left at the time, but that was an amazing feeling because this kid, I mean, I can't even go into his story because it was it's just too long and too heartbreaking but he he was doing okay you know and I hope he still is but he was doing okay and he came back just to say hi and almost to tell us he was doing okay and he was you know on he was doing some local radio stuff and we got his grade six school magazine out and it was to be like Hamish and Andy that was his dream and he was doing radio you know like I don't know. At, to this day, that brings a smile to my face. Um, those sort of moments where you do touch base. I've had kids who've come back purposely to do, um, to do like VCAL, um, what would you call it, Ex- work experience, if you like, with me, um, who've had really hard lives. I've currently got a pre-service teacher that I taught in grade one uh, who's, who sought me out to say, I want to, you know, come into your classroom and, and learn from you and things like that make you really proud to be a teacher but also you realize you do have an impact beyond abc and two plus two um and i think they're really important don't get me wrong but it it goes beyond that and they're the impacts that i've seen yeah would you say gaylene that's what you know has been the most proud moment you've been a teacher just all that kind of stuffing together is there anything else that you can think of a particular moment where you've been yeah, no, I, look, I think a moment in, in such a long career is sort of hard to, to nail, but, but it is those moments where there are lots of moments, I suppose, Corey. It's like, you know, when you see the kid you had in, say, grade four who was the behavioural problem, and this, this has happened to me fairly recently, who, you know, came into your room being a pr- behavioural problem and had a name for himself and... You know, I just over and over told him, no way, I'm not accepting this. You are good at this. You are good at maths. You are one of my best, you know. And and he would look at me like, what are you on, Miss Hawkins, as if I'm the best? And I would take him down with the extension group when I was working with them. And, you know, and he would be like, why am I with these guys? And, of course, he held his own. I'm not going to just take him down to make them fail. So, and then he won the maths award two years later in, in grade six. Like, I just burst into tears I'm, I'm watching it online going oh um you know and I I know I was a small part of that journey but I was really proud to be part of that journey um I was really proud to be part of a kid's journey who came to our school and he had a real name for him at another at another school he's come with a really bad reputation he had no friends at his other school he had no friends starting at our school and then a year later um he's had his very first birthday party with friends. And I just, you know, it sounds like, oh, but Kaylin, that's not teaching. No, for a fact, I was part of that. Like the way I would talk about him, the way I would would include him, the way I would help um, set him up with friends and families and even parents when they started to dislike, I would just not allow it and always looked for the good in in that kid. Um, And I, I, to this point, I, I feel that it actually 
it spread a little bit, you know, like it just got out there and it spread and you you can't underestimate like staff room talk about a kid. If you're just continually putting them down, then all the other teachers get that point of view about that kid. Whereas I think we just keep trying to find the positives and, and they are nine and 10 and 11, like they're, they haven't been on this earth for long enough for us to completely write them off. So that's where I, that's where I get proud is, is those kids who just break the mold a little bit. And, you know, and sometimes it doesn't last for as long or it's still at the point, but I just hope that in years to come, they just remember their, their grade four teacher or whatever year I had them was kind and believed that they were best they could be. And honestly, somebody believed in them. That's what I hope they remember me for. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well done. It reminds me of you saying your teacher in high school instilled belief in you, and it sounds like you've done exactly that to that student. So, well done. Yeah, now, you hope so. There are fails along the way, I'm sure. But. Oh, <laughs> but not that. Now, we're up to the last little part of the podcast, which is a chance for you to just share some resources, tips and tricks and advice you've learned along the way, which, I mean, you've shared heaps already. Um, but the first one is, what's your favourite teaching program, app or game? I know I, I like this one because, you know, I am old and, um, you know, I'm lucky to know how to use Instagram, let's face it. Uh, but I did laugh at that question. Um, but no, and then I thought, well, actually I do use a lot more than I probably think I do. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Seesaw um, as, a, as a tool. I think that's, that's got some real value in it. I love um, Epic. I don't know if you know Epic where it's like the just so many books online for kids to access and I think that is vital in a world where some kids don't have access to books uh storybox is another one i don't know if you guys know storybox so it's people reading um picture storybooks like famous people or not so famous people and just that idea of the love of reading uh, i think that's great uh smiling minds smiling minds i know you guys both know that is a very very good program and worthwhile finding that time to put into your um your week with the kids and just teaching them how to stop and breathe and relax and yeah take in the world instead of just moving at this fast pace that we tend to always want to move at so that were the ones I sort of went and then I suppose as a tool for teaching uh, that's helped me essential assessment is 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 a good one it I, I have to say the more I use it uh, it's not it can never be used in isolation but I'm a great fan of that belief in any assessment but it's just got great ways to track kids and to um, target actual curriculum areas they need. And it's, you know, it's based around Victorian curriculum. So I know I'm, I'm teaching what I need to teach from it. And uh, I like, I like that as a, as an assessment tool. That's, that's not a bad one, but I'm a big believer in, this can be weird, but I'm a big believer in not using too much tech because these kids are just living and breathing tech. So to actually go a little old school and I know shock horror, bring out an atlas or a actual analog clock is, um, you know, quite exciting for some kids. I brought out, I brought out stamps last year, stamps, and I'm sure some kids have never seen them. And uh, we looked at them as artworks and, and all this sort of whole text analysis stuff. And uh, yeah, it, that was sort of fun too. So I think, once again, probably my catchphrase, everything in balance. So, and that includes tech. So, yeah. Gailene, what's, do you have a morning go-to to get ready for the day? Is this at school, the morning go-to? Like what, to get the kids ready? Like me ready or the kids? 
Because if it's me, I just, I have to have a cup of tea. Like that is just me down flat. I just have to have that. Um, I have to have just a moment in my classroom without anyone else um, and just get my, my head in the game, if you like. Uh, I think for the kids in the morning, I set up quick maths. Like they come in, there's something there for them to do instead of just waiting and talking. And because and if parents come in and I have to talk to them, there's other kids can engage in something to get their head in the game as well. Because, you know, you've got, well, I've got 28 kids this year and they all come from completely different backgrounds and you just don't know what their life has been like for that morning. So just to come in, have something that's familiar and um, probably routine is, is good for these. And I think that comes back to me. I, I have a bit of a routine. Um, so, you know, I, I, I will go into my um, kitchen. I will turn the, the kettle on. I will feed my dogs. I will feed myself. You know, like it's sort of that just routine of, of getting ready for the morning. Yeah. So. I like it. What about you mentioned before you've got Instagram. You're trendy with your Instagram. Is there a social <laughs> I know. I'm not up to TikTok yet, Josh. I just want to say. But, <laughs> oh, you know, think Steve, I'm down with the kids. Steve might be. Uh, in terms of Instagram, do you have any social media accounts you follow for inspiration? I have to say no to this. Other than you guys, I don't really listen. And um, it's not that I'm adverse to it in any way. I just think it's also part of me finding that balance and not letting my whole life be about me as a teacher. Um, but that's not to say I'm, I'm not reading. I probably still read a fair bit. Um more than follow things on social media. But, you know, like I've sort of pulled myself off Facebook and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, as I say, I'm certainly not against anything like that. I think just for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more of a reader and I just I like to, to do that. Um, I like to listen to things probably more than just watch something on a social media page. or And I always feel a bit guilty sometimes. You know, they have those instagram accounts and they've shown you their room and their setup and you're going for goodness sakes girl go out to brunch why are you spending all your time putting up that you know i'm just a bit that way so maybe i'm getting old and cynical josh i don't know but i'm just a bit like take a breather you know it's okay you know i and i go in for a couple of days and set my room up but i'm not going to be doing half of these things that to be fair, some kids don't even notice. So, oh, well, that's controversial, isn't it? But uh, oh, this is a this is another topic. The old teach comparison. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I could I could tell you that. I'm I'm happy to come back and talk about it. Let me tell you. <laughs> So how to how to just take a breath. Yeah, let's let's leave that for another episode. How to not compare <laughs> yourself to other teachers on social media. <laughs> um, Galen, what's the best PD you've ever done? This is hard. I've done a lot of PD. Um, do you know what? Okay, I, I got it down to three. Is that okay? I got it down yep, to three. three so fun. one of them is Plays the Way, Wilson McGaskill. That is one of the best PDs you can do. Um, even if you never use the Plays the Way stuff, it's still great. But it's, of course, much more beneficial if you um, if your whole school's into it and does it. But his enthusiasm for life in general was catching and he was just real. And 
Another one that I'll talk about is one fairly recently called Glenn Pearsall, and he talks, um, I've heard him talk a lot. He comes to our school, he's helping us with things like student engagement and um, even some leadership um, sort of traits and things like that. Both of those um, PDs have been great because I've walked out of there knowing that I could go into school tomorrow and start to apply some of those things. For me, they're the best PDs where I, I don't feel guilty because I have to spend three more days studying something or uh, I don't feel that now I have added all this burden to my time that I have to rearrange everything to do it. it they just say start this step and then do this step and then do this step. And um, both of them are great because they're quite inspiring. I think another PD, and I'm going to have to mention this because it was so informative in my early career, was Andrew Fuller. Um, if anyone ever gets a chance to hear Andrew Fuller speak. So he's like, I would class him as an educational psychologist. He he works a lot with education, and um, but he's probably main thing is he's a psychologist. But he he talked a lot about getting to the heart of the matter with kids and understanding them and how they work and how their brains work and, and mental health and well-being around students. And that just formed my whole career. And I still will go and see and hear him. Um, the conferences, the Generation Next conferences that are up in Melbourne and Sydney and Adelaide, they're around the place, um, I think every two years or every year, I'm not sure, but they are amazing. So a lot of different speakers, but he's a really big part of that as well. And you get to hear him speak and I can recommend that as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, different times, different pe people with PDs. So, yeah. Not sometimes so, the best PDs you also hear are from your own staff sometimes too. You know, when, when the person gets up and you just – know that teacher and you know the impact they have and then they get up and share something and you just sit there and go oh yeah that's awesome I'm going to do that so some of those PDs have been amazing too mm, now that you say that I feel like that's a bit of a contradiction that question to my core beliefs <laughs> why is that about it being the best ever when often the smaller things and the you know the less knowns are more powerful well, yeah known, I think you know I think we can never underestimate um walking in and watching another teacher teach yeah. uh you know and somebody you really um value and um yeah I think even if you don't like you walk in and go oh I'm never going to do that yeah uh, so uh, I think yeah don't underestimate the uh classroom observations they're good less known probably wasn't the right word but you know what I mean like yeah yeah for sure for sure now Gaylene what inspires you to continue being a teacher today um, that's a good question because, you know, just in the general roller coaster of life, there are times when you don't feel very inspired and you do wonder why you keep going. Um, and as I said before, I think it gets harder as you go. But it just, for me, I really thought hard about this and it just comes down to the kids. I know it's just, I love kids. I love kids and I honestly believe they've got something to offer us. Um, and I learn as much from them every single day. And I just, they make me laugh and they make me cry. Um, but I, and I think that's it. It, it. it almost sounds too simplistic, doesn't it, Josh? But I no, think for me, it's just the kids. And I've said it before, the day I walk into a classroom and go, I don't want to be here with these kids. This 
probably the day I need to start thinking about getting out. I don't actually understand. I've met teachers over the years who don't like children. What What are you doing in this job? Like, get out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that as well as I have to say young teachers um, and even teachers like aren't so young like you guys <laughs> um, but you know like you guys inspire me too I, I love it I love working with young teachers it's one of it's so inspiring to just see their enthusiasm and they want to do the right thing and I love that I for an old teacher that's just gold when you just get those teachers who want to learn and and come to the table with their own ideas as well and just trying to do something different but also their their core value of the kids as well that's yeah I love that that's inspiring to me for sure with a, a bit of a curlier question now you're in an interview for your job and the last last question is why should we hire you what do you say to that that's a great question right because I know, know. that's a great question imagine just saying that yeah no um but you know like I talked earlier I don't have a huge amount of experience with interviews because it was like walk in and sign here um but I think it's actually an attitude I don't know what you'd actually say but it's more the attitude the whole interview you should be in there with the attitude of you need me and it sounds so arrogant but I think if you go with that attitude of I will be really good for this school and and all your answers come down to what you can offer. I think that helps. But for me now in my my life, it comes down to answering that question with my experience. The thing that I can offer this school is years of experience, years of working with all different types of kids, parents, um, teachers, and still love it. Like I can still love it. And I can offer interpersonal I think it's one of my my things that I'm good at is relationship it's how I work with kids but I I like people I like people and I I think I can talk to pretty much anyone in a staff room and it doesn't really phase me their life journey or story I'm just interested in them and same with parents as well I just want to get to know who they are and same with their kids and how can I, how can I help on the journey, the small blip in their journey? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I would offer them. It's you certainly hired. not going to be my social media accounts. That's for sure. Just. <laughs> you touched on that. You have a lot of experience. We wanted you to go all the way back to your first day. What would you say to yourself if you're starting all over again? <laughs> what would I say to myself? Um, a few things I'd say. One thing I would say is this is the right choice. That's what I would say. Um, For my journey where it was, you know, not my immediate choice out of high school, then then starting my job as a teacher, I would say this is the right choice, Kayleen, you'll be okay. And one other thing would be you don't need to owe everything. You don't need to know everything. that's important because I think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as teachers to be the voice of all knowledge and uh, it's just ridiculous it's ridiculous but it's almost teaching others that where to find out if you don't know it and so to actually admit you don't know it or that you've made a mistake or um, and just to say to myself there are people around you who care enough for you and will help you that that would that would be the other thing so yeah, but definitely it was the right choice. 
Good quote. All right, this one's a trick. <laughs> we're going to try and make this hard for you, Gaylene. Three words, oh Max. What would how how would your students describe you? Three words. Three words, Max. Okay. Mean, <laughs> funny, kind. I know it sounds weird, right? But one of my favourite things that I was ever given from a student was a poster that said, Miss Hawkins, you're my favourite teacher because you're mean and funny at the same time. Um, and I asked him, I said, what, what is this? Why have you said this? And he says, well, you don't let anyone get away with anything. Um, and everyone knows the boundaries, but you're really funny. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> I don't want to be known as mean, but I just love that because uh, I suppose it's I'm strict, but I, I set really clear boundaries one of my great beliefs is you cannot stop somebody else from learning. I don't care what kind of day you're having. You can sit there and do nothing, but how dare you stop someone else from their journey and their learning. And so in that way, I'm really strict. But I, I, I've, I've been told enough over my career that Miss Hawkins, you're funny. So I was like, oh, I probably should believe that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they're saying it in a fun way even. I don't know. They might be going, ooh, Miss Hawkins, you're a bit strange. I think I get that. But yeah, that's uh, really. I don't good. know. A few times. You never know what way to take it, but you just take, you're <laughs> taking it a good way, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys should answer that more for me. Like, I think you have to ask my colleagues what how how they describe me. That I don't know. It's a bit weird talking about yourself. So <laughs> now we've we've touched on it a bit throughout the episode. But if someone was considering uh, doing sabbatical leave, what would your uh, what would you say to them? Definitely do it. Uh, but I would have a bit of a plan. So don't just throw the time away. Not saying, like we were saying before, there are days where doing nothing is just so valuable. But I think have a bit of a plan. Don't just use the time and get to the end and go, oh, I wish I did this and this. So I think having a couple of things planned in it, uh, whether it's even for school or learning. But I think it's, like I said, use it for something that you've always said you'll do but you've never got around to doing, so, but definitely do it. And the money, you know what? You get to the end of your life, you know, you're not going to think back and go, oh, gee, I wish I'd saved that $20,000 or whatever it was. You're going to think back on all the experiences you had. Um, so that's that's my belief. Oh, thank you very much, Gailene. It's been awesome. Yeah, right. You're most welcome, my friends. And uh, I hope there has been some glimmer of interest in what I've said somewhere, but yeah, well done to you guys for doing this. It's great.